With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 2021 MLB season is here. And although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson, got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment, Matt Pauly, Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game host over there at 620 WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee, going to be joining me. He also does some terrific work over there at Sports Map Radio. Guy does sports updates all across this great country, so... There is an occasion where you might just randomly hear his voice. He's absolutely terrific with that. And we're obviously going to be talking a little bit about the Milwaukee Brewers, but also going to be talking about the Cardinals and the Reds now that they find themselves back in the National League postseason hunt. So we're going to be talking about that second wild card spot along with the Brewers in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a signing total on every game on the betting board for this Friday. And a little something like the call, touch them all. First things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire these in. First one is my Twitter timeline at jarenscourty1. Keep in mind, letters yam, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but had a smallish slate of games on 
Thursday, but they were very good ones. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Here's a trend. Betting on Logan Webb has been very profitable for you. The Giants are 13-1 in his last 14 starts. He has allowed two runs or fewer in every one of them, and the Giants get it done again on Thursday by a count of 5-1 for Webb. 10 strikeouts, gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers, they close things out in the eighth and ninth innings. And for the Giants, they got a pair of home runs. Austin Slater, his 10th of the season, that comes off of Eric Lauer. And then the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen of Devin Williams, unable to hold up as Thario Estrada was able to get his fourth of the season as Eric Lauer, a very good start in this one. He winds up giving up that solo home run earlier in the game, and that's all you would give up in seven innings. But then Devin Williams gives up that bomb to Estrada. Four runs in total in two-thirds of an inning. Hobie Milner wound up having to get the last out of the eighth inning. So the Milwaukee Brewers still, all in all, a very successful road trip. Take three or four from the San Francisco Giants, but Logan Webb able to get it done on Thursday. The Boston Red Sox continue to cling to that second wild card spot in the American League as the Oakland A's also got a win. We'll get into them in a second, but 4-0. to zero. The Boston Red Sox get the best start of the year that they've seen out of one Eduardo Rodriguez as he goes six scoreless innings. And then Garrett Richards gets a three-inning save, a very rare one as for the Boston Red Sox. They go four of eight with men in scoring position. This despite the fact that they had Jack Lopez and Jonathan Oduz in their infield due to COVID-19 concerns with guys like Xander Bogarts and company for the Tampa Bay race. Shane McClanahan gives up more than three runs for the first time in 12 starts, giving up four runs in total over the course of five innings. Sean Armstrong, Adam Connolly, they combined for three scoreless innings and J.P. Fireisen now off the injured list, was able to give you an inning out of the bullpen, but only five hits for the race, so not a lot doing for them. Quite a bit doing for the Oakland A's, especially early, as they very nearly gas can this one. They go up 8-0 to zero going into the bottom of the fifth inning. Things get a little bit airy, but if you had the run line and pretty much the A's at any capacity, you got it done. 8-6 to six a final. One of Frankie Montas winds up giving up a pair of home runs. Three runs in total over the course of six and two-thirds innings as he was taken deep by Harold Castro, third home run of the season, along with Akil Batu for his 12th home run season. And then Deolis Carrera would give one up to Jamir Candelario, his 11th home run season as Carrera winds up giving up three runs and he doesn't get a single out, but Andrew Chafin gets four outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. And Sergio Romo winds up closing out this game. He gets his second save in the last week. Pair of home runs for the Oakland A's in this one off of Mr. Matt, don't call him Peyton Manning because, well, he gave up a bunch of bombs in this one. Jed Lowry, Mark Hanna, both get their 14th home run season off of Manning, who gives up all eight runs in three and two-thirds innings, including those two home runs. You wind up having from there Derek Collin give you a scoreless inning. You wind up having Miguel Del Pozo give you two and a third inning scoreless, and Alex Lang it will give you two scoreless innings as well, but going to be talking about this with Matt Pauly. The Detroit Tigers have certainly fallen off a cliff recently. The Colorado Rockies have been very good at home. As a matter of fact, they are third in the National League with regards to win percentage at home. They couldn't get it done against the Atlanta Braves, though. Six of five, the final. Tuki Toussaint, a pseudo-open in this one. Not exactly expected because he just wound up getting lit up. Gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of three innings, going deep off of them. Charlie Blackman has 11th home run season. Then the Braves bullpen went to work. Jacob Webb, two scoreless things. Jesse Chavez, Richard Rodriguez, Luke Jackson, Will Smith. All get jiggy with it for scoreless settings. And for the Atlanta Braves, Ode Soler now has 15 home runs since the beginning of the month of July. It's 22nd of the season. He goes deep off of one Chichi Gonzalez. And then Yancey Almonte serves one up to Adam Duvall. His 30th home run season. 
for Almonte. He takes the loss, giving up three runs over the course of one and a third innings. But Chichi Gonzalez, he gave up three runs of his own in three and two-thirds innings. Lucas Gilbreth and Tyler Kinley both come out of the bullpen and both give you two scoreless innings apiece. But Colorado Rockies unable to get it done against the Atlanta Braves. The New York Metropolitans badly needed a win against the Miami Marlins. And they got it by a count of 4-3 to three as the Fishies wind up getting up in this game by a count of 2-0. to zero, Thanks to a Miguel Rojas home run off of one Carlos Carrasco. His 8th home run season and Sandy Alcantara. He had a good start in this one and then things wound up tapering off once they wound up getting into the late innings. Now, he was hurt by the fact that the Miami Marlins had 4 Count them four fielding errors in this one as he allowed four runs over the course of six and a third innings. But Richard Blyer gave you a pair of outs at the bullpen and Anthony Bender a scoreless inning. But for the Mets, they were able to take advantage of Mr. Alcantara, especially Jonathan VR. 17th home run season that came in the first inning. And for Mr. Carrasco, he winds giving up three runs over the course of five and a third innings. And as the Mets bullpen has done all year, they were solid in this one. Jurisic Familia, Trevor May, Edwin Diaz, I'll give you a scoreless inning, and then Aaron Loop gives you two-thirds of an inning out of the bullpen himself. The Chicago Cubs have not been solid recently, as they have lost, I believe, 11 out of their last 14 games at Wrigley, but they got the job done against another struggling team, and the Pittsburgh Pirates by kind of 6-5, as this game went 11 innings for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Keller actually a really good start. No walks, he did a lot of six hits, but he was able to keep the Cubs off the scoreboard. Eight punch-outs in the process. Chad Cool comes in in relief, and, well, it's not relieving when you get one out and you give up five runs, including a pair of home runs. Going deep for the Chicago Cubs in this one, Rafael Ortega's ninth home run season, and then Ian App, who has all of a sudden gotten hot after he had a terrible start to the year. He gets his 18th. Nick Mears gave you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Chris Stratton, a scoreless inning. Two scoreless innings out of David Bernard, and then you wind up having Sam Auer come in. He lost the unearned run in the 11th inning, and for the Pirates, Timely hitting was out there for them. 2 of 12 with men in scoring position. Keegan Thompson did allow a home run to Colin Moran in the first inning. That was his eighth home run season for Thompson. He gives up three runs in one and two-thirds innings. And then the Chicago Cubs bullpen really went to work. Now, Rowan Wick did give up two runs, only one of which was earned over the course of his inning as Robinson Chirinos and Patrick Wisdom hurt him with fielding errors. But Adrian Sampson, three and a third inning scoreless. You wind up having Adam Morgan give you a scoreless inning. Scott E. Frost was able to give you two scoreless innings. Manuel Rodriguez, Cody Oyer, I'll give you a scoreless inning. So, a big win for the Chicago Cubs. A big win for the Cleveland Indians. If you wound up dailing the New York Post for the day, you got there on this one. 42, the final is Tristan McKenzie continues to be masterful ever since the beginning of the month of August. A sub-2 ERA gives up one run over the course of six innings. Nick Wicker and Brian Shaw both give you a scoreless inning. And Emmanuel Classe made things a little bit hairy out there in the ninth inning, but he was able to do just enough giving up a run in an inning to be able to get the job done. And it was Owen Miller who was able to have the big hit in this one. He winds up going deep off of Mike Miner, who is a little bit of a major disappointment. Fourth home run season for Miller. For Miner, it gives up three runs, two of which were earned, including that home run over the course of five innings. Chris with the K Bubichu. I thought was going to be starting today, so if you notice in the podcast preview, I wind up mentioning Bubich. Well, he's not going to be starting because he winds up giving up two runs in an inning. Because he winds up giving up one run over the course of two innings in this one, you wind up having Joel Payampas come into the game. He winds up being able to give you a scoreless inning, so you were able to get some relatively solid bullpen pitching out of the Kansas City Royals with also having Tyler Zuber come in and give you a scoreless inning, but the Cleveland Indians get the job done in this one, and the Philadelphia Phillies. Avert total disaster with a 7-6 win over the Washington Nationals as the Philadelphia Phillies were down by a count of 6-0 after five innings. And then the Washington Nationals just upchucked all over themselves as 
Aaron Supernola, he was not super in this one. Gave up six runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of homers. Going deep for the Washington Nationals. Lane Thomas, his first home run season. And Juan Soto was able to get his 23rd. Paul Espinosa was relatively solid on the other end for the Nationals, giving up two runs over the course of five and third innings. And then from there, Mason Thompson gives up a run. Did not get a single out. Sam Clay two-thirds of an inning. He doesn't give up anything, but you wind up then getting a scoreless inning out of Alberto Baladano, who I have never heard of before in my life, but gave him a scoreless inning. But it was then Andres Machado, who was hurt by an error out there on the field by Luis Garcia. Gives up an unearned run in two-thirds of an inning. Austin Voth was able to give you a scoreless inning, but the man that lit this game on fire Patrick Murphy gave it up three runs, two of which were earned while getting it out. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen has actually looked good recently, and they had a bunch of guys come through. J.D. Ammer, Sam Coonrod, Archie Bradley, Ian Kennedy all give you a scoreless setting, and Bailey Falter and Aniel De Los Santos combined for a scoreless setting. And for Andrew McCutcheon, four RBI in this one to be able to get the Phillies to 69 and 64. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, it's not great, but they're now 30 and 36 on the road, and they're starting to take care of business against some of these lesser teams. And if you're taking a look at Major League Baseball betting over the last 30 days, favorites have been certainly doing well for you. 257 and 136, that is a 65.4% win rate to favorites and unders continue to cash. 54.3% of games have won under over the last 30 days. 204 and 172, home teams in this time span, 207 and 190. We've noticed a lot of bad teams hosting games as home teams over the last seven days. 44 and 47 in that time span. Favorites are 54 and 36. That is a 60% clip. And unders in this time span over the last seven days, 62.1%. 54 unders and 33 overs. That means that for the year, unders are starting to take a little bit more of a lead at 963 unders and 939 overs. So 50.6% of games this season have went under. Favorites for the year hitting at about 59.8%, 1,182 and 795. And home teams, 1,086 and 909, so they're winning about 54.4% of the time. So that's what we all wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Thursday, and that's what we're seeing trend-wise. Now let's take a look at the National League. Let's take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's take a look at the race for the second wildcard spot. And so much more with Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game host Matt Pauley. That chat is on the other side right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Love Las Vegas with the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by this guest as Matt Polly does a terrific job doing Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game work over there at 620 WTMJ along with ESPN, the radio affiliate out there in the great city of Milwaukee. He also does a great job as a host and anchor over there at SportsMap Radio. He also does play-by-play work with UW-Green Bay Phoenix, their women's basketball team, and occasionally you just might hear him doing updates in a radio station near you. As to be able to follow Matt Pauly on Twitter, that is at Matt Pauly on air, last name is spelled P-A-U-L-E-Y, and Matt, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, you bet, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Always enjoy having you, and with the Milwaukee Brewers, it does look like reinforcements are going to be on the way for this team. We wound up seeing William Thomas in the starting lineup yesterday for them. Daniel Vogelback just wound up getting reinstated off the 60-day injured list as well. And for the Birds, this is really critical because we have noticed that the offense has been lacking a little bit in recent days. So the fact that the San Francisco Giants wound up having COVID issues with Alex Wood and Johnny Cueto, that certainly helped them out a little bit in the early part of their series. 
against the San Francisco Giants. But not having Eduardo Escobar in the fold the last few weeks, along with having Willie Adams banged up a little bit and DHing when they were able to play in that interleague series against the Minnesota Twins, certainly took a toll on them a little bit. And I think getting all these guys back are critical for the Brewers because they're going to be able to win the NL Central, but being able to advance in a playoff series, I really think that they need Adamas and company to be fully healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So you look specifically at the lineup that this team had in the game on Tuesday night, the game they won 6-2. Colton Wong, Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich, Omar Nevaez, Avisail Garcia, Roddy Telez, Jace Peterson, and Lorenzo Kane. I then think when you have Eduardo Escobar, who's on the injured list, and Tyrone Taylor, who's on the injured list, when you can put those two guys into that group, that with no disrespect meant to a Jackie Bradley Jr. to a Manny Pena who's, who's gone on the injured list. But the group that I just mentioned in that lineup, and then you add Escobar and Taylor, I think that core offensive group has the ability to really score a lot of runs the rest of the regular season. And we know that run scoring goes down in the postseason. So I don't really know how to evaluate how good they are going to be at uh, scoring runs in the postseason. But I like that group. This is one of the best run scoring teams. A downturn they took early on in the twin series. They got shut out in the first game. And then even in the second game of the series, they scored four runs, but uh, just didn't feel the way it felt normally. They weren't getting extra base hits. I don't think they had a single extra base hit in those first two games against the Twin Series, if I remember correctly. When this team is at its best, they're hitting doubles, they're hitting some home runs, they're putting it into the gap, they're hitting the ball hard. That's another thing. They did not do that in those first two games against Minnesota. And again, those players that I mentioned, that group that I think have the ability to do that. I agree with you. I do think that with the Brewers, they are getting everyone back and fully healthy. And Christian Yelich hasn't necessarily been hitting a bunch of homers recently, but he's just looked better in general at the plate. He's only got eight home runs on the season going into their game Wednesday night against the San Francisco Giants. But in the month of August, was able to hit above a 300 after he wound up having a pretty dismal month of July. And does it seem like he's getting a little bit more healthy? Because I know that he's been dealing with some back injuries all year. I have to think that those have been nagging him throughout this slump that he wound up having in the month of July. And it just seems like in general, even though the home runs haven't necessarily been there, this just looks a little bit more like the Christian Yelich of old. Yeah. yeah. You go back to what he has done since August 11th. And he has a hit in every game that he's appeared in since August 11th, except for one. In the one game where he did not have a hit, he came up as a pinch hitter and only got one at bat. Now, admittedly, he grounded into a double play. That was against Washington. Since August 11th, he's hitting 351. Slugging is 527. His OPS is 917. These are not 2018, 2019 caliber numbers for Christian Yelich, but they're really good. He's hitting for average. He's getting on base. He's putting in a gap a little bit more. He's got seven doubles in that period. He's hitting the ball hard. I'm going to keep saying this, and I know there's a lot of people out there. They don't care if somebody hits a ball hard. They care if they get a hit, right? But hard hit rate matters. And in a small sample, it might not, but in a large sample, it does. Everybody's been asking about it. It's probably the number one narrative, number one storyline that I've had on my post-game show throughout the course of the years. And even last year when he really struggled, was it because he didn't have as much protection in the lineup as he did during those MVP caliber seasons? Was it because of this back issue that he's been dealing with this year? Was it because of a tweak that he made or some type of change that he was making in his swing? Was it just a mental deal? Like I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. 
if I had an answer to that question, I wouldn't be talking to you in all likelihood right now. I'd be doing something else. But the bottom line is my favorite Jay-Z line is men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And right now, Christian Yelich, since August 11th, is hitting 351 with an OPS of 917. You'll take it. Yep, absolutely. I do think that the rebirth of Christian Yelich, for lack of a better term, is going to be able to help out the Milwaukee Brewers moving forward as we do have Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. And Matt, you have joined me a few times. You've always said the one team that could track down the Milwaukee Brewers in the NL Central, and they're not going to quite do this, but they're climbing their way back into it. The St. Louis Cardinals. It feels like every time we shovel dirt on the grave of the St. Louis Cardinals, they just find a way to come back. They are two games out of the wild card as things sit right now. Now, they're going to lose game two of their doubleheader against the Cincinnati Reds. I think that'll put them two and a half games back, but this is a bunch that they looked dead in the water about a month ago. They wind up trading for John Lester and J.F. Two moves I thought was going to do Jack Diddley squat for them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, J.F., has looked very good for this team. John Lester has been actually able to deliver a couple good starts as well. How do you get your Cardinals moving forward? Because this is a bunch in which I am very intrigued by. They are going to be the next opponent for the Milwaukee Brewers starting on Friday. And I think that this is going to be a crucial series for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, so you talked about the Lester and the half acquisitions. And I think I'm with you. It felt like all they were doing there was attempting to find any needers. They were in such a tough spot with injuries in the rotation. It didn't even feel like they were trying to make their team better. It felt like they were just trying to find guys to start games. And I'm not trying to be too dismissive of those two individuals, but nobody thought that those two guys were going to be really good. And then they lose Flaherty again. Like, and they're still not in great shape. That National League wildcard race is fun. When you think about, as we're talking, San Diego and Cincinnati are in a virtual tie for the wild card, And then you've got the Cardinals and the Phillies that are each within two games. So you got Four teams within two games of each other that are contending for one playoff spot. That is a great race. I think you give credit to St. Louis for finding a way to get back in. They always find ways to get back in, seemingly. That's almost part of their DNA. I still think that that middle of the order, when you can ride in Goldschmidt and Arenado every single day, it has such a major impact on what you do. It's not something where I'm intimately connected to what they've got going, but as I do watch them pretty closely, being the post-game show host for the Brewers, and knowing what else is going on across the NL Central. They had that loss against the Pirates the other day where they were up by two runs in the ninth inning and then they give up a three-run home run against the Pirates. I just mentioned about putting dirt in the grave. It feels like over and over and over they've had these losses. They're like, okay, that's it. The Cardinals are done. And then they pull themselves back off the mat over and over. So you give them credit for that. I don't know. Like Just being so close, you still feel like the Padres are the best team of the bunch. You give Cincinnati credit for sticking around even though I've always thought St. Louis is better than Cincinnati. Philadelphia has been on a really nice run here recently. They've even got themselves back into the race in the National League East. I'm not trying to you know, not have an opinion here, but it's really hard for me to evaluate who the best team is of that bunch and who's going to possibly win that second wild card. I take a look at the San Diego Padres, and I have just soured on them so badly, as we do have Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. When you wind up trotting out there, Jake Arrieta for a start, you should be just pretty much barred from the postseason, in my opinion. I take a look at what they're going to have going up against the Houston Astros for this upcoming weekend. Joe Musgrove, who has been very good for the San Diego Padres. I give him a lot of credit, but Ryan Weathers, ever since the beginning of the month of July, has a north of nine ERA. Chris Paddock is someone that I have zero faith in whatsoever as well. The Padres have really been able to hang in this race, and 
be towards the top of the wild card standings because of their great bullpen. But I think that those innings are really starting to take their toll on this bullpen. They wound up having a little bit of a lesser ERA in the month of August. They were more league average after going into the month of August. They had the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. And I think it's just an accumulation of so many different things. It looks like they've just reactivated Nelson Lamette, but what are we going to be able to get out of him as well? This is a really unique time that we're in in baseball right now. August is always the toughest month. My my co-host on uh, my post-game show is former Brewers pitcher Jerry Augustine, and we were talking about this the other day, about the toughest month to pitch. He said it was August because you're not quite to that final month of the season where you really start to ramp up, but it's a tough time. I was looking at the number. Stick with me here. Tigers were actually playing some pretty solid baseball. They were all of a sudden getting into the neighborhood of 500, and now they've just fallen off a cliff here over the last two weeks or so. And I looked at that, and they've got a really young staff. They've got some pitchers who are being very careful with innings. And to me, it's a really clear thing. That's a young team. They're doing the 60 to 162. They've got guys who have never pitched a full season of Major League Baseball before. And they've just, they've hit a wall. The baseball season is a grind. It is so incredibly tough to get through. Not only do you have to be a good team, you have to be a team that can survive the season. And that's why you can have pretenders that stick around for maybe even the first four months or so of the season. And not that Detroit was sticking around. They weren't, but they were playing some pretty solid baseball here till recently, and and they're not going to do that anymore, I bet. To bring this back to the Brewers, they've gone with a six-day rotation all year long, and they have not pushed their starting pitchers at all. And like Freddie Peralta is on the injured list right now. He had just a little bit of soreness in his shoulder, and they immediately got him on the injured list, shut him down. They have been very cognizant throughout the year of what they are trying to do to make sure that these pitchers are going to stay healthy. Now, does that mean it's going to work for sure? No, this, this is unprecedented times. There's no guarantee that a Brandon Woodruff, a Corbin Burns, a Freddie Peralta, they're not going to slow down here over the next month or so. And if that happens, the Brewers are in big trouble because that's their bread and butter when it comes to having success in the postseason. But I think teams like the Brewers that are really thinking through all aspects of things have done a lot better job in finding a way to try to keep pitching as healthy as possible. I don't watch the Padres on an everyday basis, but I don't get the sense that they were quite as locked in on doing those type of things. Yeah, it's been so fascinating to watch this Padres team because there was so much hype on them coming into the year. They've done a great job against the LA Dodgers, but they haven't taken care of business against the Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've got a combined losing record against those two teams. Meanwhile, the teams above 500, like they're going to be facing over the weekend here with the Houston Astros, they've actually done a great job against, which I find to be so intriguing as we do have Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. And when you just take a look at the landscape of baseball, I do think that when it comes to all these teams that people are saying are, and I quote, the favorites to win the World Series, I think that the Milwaukee Brewers are able to take down any of them due to their pitching. And when you take a look at just the grand scheme of things, what do you expect from this postseason? Because you did just mention it, and I've been thinking the same way with the 60-game season last year. I think that just having fresh pitchers in general is going to be so crucial. And what has really been a little bit of the undoing, which also wound up getting the Brewers into the spot that they did to begin with the last couple postseasons, was their use of the bullpen. I think that now... Craig Council has three guys in Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, and Corbin Burns that you're able to look to for six, seven solid innings. Then you wind up going to maybe like a Jay Cousins, a Brad Boxberger for an inning, and then Devin Williams, Josh Hader being able to close that out 
All you need is pretty much two, maybe three runs, and the Brewers are going to be able to win a lot of these games. And I think that that's going to set themselves up for success, whereas so many of these other teams in the major leagues, sure, they've got some good frontline starting pitching, but I don't think that they necessarily have the balance and just the overall arms that the Brewers do. The back three for the Brewers, because Boxberger's been the seventh inning guy, Williams has been the eighth inning guy, and Hayter has been the ninth inning guy. The numbers that those three guys are putting up are out of this world. And Boxberger is the surprise of the three because you didn't expect him to be in that spot, but he has been really, really good this year. He has been a legit lockdown seventh inning guy. And then they've got other guys in the bullpen who can come out and pick up some big innings. Brent Suter has a role on this team. Now, you don't know what those roles completely look like. We haven't even talked about Aaron Ashby, who's been starting a little bit. He's a young guy. He's going to be a starter moving forward, but they're going to have him in the bullpen. The movement on him his pitches, specifically a slider. It's ridiculous what he can do. This Brewers team can beat anybody. I'm not saying they're the best team in baseball, but they can beat any team in baseball because of their starting pitching and because of the back end of the bullpen. The only question I kind of have, and it's going to be really intriguing to me. So we mentioned the Brewers have gone with a six-day rotation all season long, and that's basically been a six-man rotation. But sometimes if there's been a day off, They've utilized five starting pitchers and it's utilized the day off. So it's been a six-day rotation. So everybody's been pitching on an extra day rest compared to the normal five-man rotation. If you've got a five-man rotation and you go into the postseason, you can get through the vast majority of the postseason with three starters. Generally, you'll need a fourth. If you go 5 seven, seven through the divisional series, once in the championship series and once in the World Series, but you can get through all but two games of the postseason. I'm really intrigued by with what's going to happen with the Brewers is are they going to do that? Is it going to be a situation where it's going to be Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta starting the vast majority, all but maybe one, two, maybe three games of the playoffs, or because they went with a six-day rotation this year, are they going to utilize a fourth starter a little bit more, whether it's an Adrian Hauser, an Eric Lauer, a Brad Anderson, whoever it might be, because that's what they did during the regular season. And if they stick with kind of the five-day model, are they going to have to ramp these guys up a little bit to keep them on the five days rest as opposed to the four day rest. I don't know how that's going to play out. And I'm kind of getting into the weeds here a month before the postseason even starts. But I do find that to be very intriguing on how that's going to play out. I think it's incredible to see what we're going to be able to get this postseason. And Matt, I know that you're going to be following it every single step of the way. Hopefully the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing the last game of the season. That is Certainly something in which I think should be an expectation for Brewers fans. I think that should be World Series or bust with everything that they've got so far this year. But I know that you're going to be locked in on all this. You do a great job with the Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game work. You do some great work over there with Sports Map Radio, UW-Green Bay women's basketball. The list goes on and on. So let the good people at home know what you've all got going on right now and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Brewers post-game after all these games, either on WTMJ or as Packers season is getting started, we've got some games over on 94.5 ESPN. Milwaukee doing work for Sports Map Radio on an everyday basis, getting ready for the college basketball season. Staying busy, which is good. College basketball season cannot come soon enough, in my opinion. I'm getting geared up for that, and I'm geared up for what is going to be an amazing postseason in MLB baseball. Matt Polly, one of the best in the business. Always great to get him aboard. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday and a little something like call Touch Em All. 
Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to get Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game host Matt Pauley on the podcast. He does great work, and speaking of doing some great work, the Brewers were able to do that on the West Coast. They wind up losing yesterday, but certainly a good series for them, and it's going to be exciting to see what we get moving forward in the National League. So, big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday, and a little something you like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, which means that we're going to be going with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. Do have a couple interleague games today, so we're going to be having some of that go a little bit out of time order, but certainly we're going to be having this first National League game as our first one, as we do begin with 951-952 on the betting board. The matinee game between the Chicago Cubs, who play host to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Steven Berolt is going to be going for the Buckos, and Alec Mills is going to be on the bump for the Cubs. Currently, we've got no total up on this game since this is a Wrigley Field game. Most bookmakers, they like to wait until the AM, see how that winds up shaking out. But if you are looking at the money line with the Cubs, and we're between minus 122 and minus 135. If you're looking to walk the plank and take a shot here on the Buckos, you're going to be finding them and we're between plus 112 and plus 116. And if you're looking at the win situation for Wrigley Field, looks like it's going to be blowing out right around 7, maybe 8-ish miles per hour. So I did wind up setting the sole at 9.3, despite the fact that you do have a Pirates team that is dead last in the big leagues when it comes to runs per game. They're going to be going up against a guy in Alec Mills that has been able to do a solid job of pitching at Wrigley Field. Now, road Alec Mills has not necessarily been so great, but you take a look at him in Wrigley so far this year, a 435 ERA. He's made six starts, 13 total appearances, giving up four bombs at 39 in the third innings. Now, opponents are hitting at 298 off of him, and things have normalized a little bit recently with his home and road splits, but he's also going to be going up against a guy in Steven Brault that had four very good starts to begin the year. Two runs of fear, giving up in every one of them. He won up against the Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals twice, and the Dodgers, so some solid teams, and then in his last start, he got completely shelled for seven runs and three innings against the St. Louis Cardinals, and his teams have not provided a lot of runs for him. It combined four runs of support in five games for Steven Brault. I will go out on a limb and say that he's going to get a little bit more in this game as you take a look at this Pirates team and just don't have a lot when it comes to home run power. Brian Reynolds had 21 of them. He was the only guy in the starting lineup yesterday with more than eight home runs so far this year. Now, Yoshi Satsugo, they've been using a little bit. Since coming over, he's been able to give the team five home runs. That's a little bit of something. You've got Colin Moran back in the fold. He's hitting at 285. Got a couple other guys getting on base. Ben Gamble along with Brian Hayes are both hitting right around 250. Will Merdifo saying more like a 270. But then you've got Michael Perez, Phillip Evans, Kaye Tom, Cole Tucker. You got a just a bunch of guys. They're in a 225 or lower. Then you take a look at the Cubs and up top, you've got two guys hitting above a 285. Rafael Ortega along Frank Schwindel. Now you've got a lot of slugs in this lineup as well. Sergio Alcantara, Jason Hayward, Ian App, Michael Hermosillo, guys hitting a 220 or lower, but Matt Duffy along Patrick Wisdom. Both in between a 250 to a 260. Robinson Chirinos is in that fold as well and with Wisdom. He's getting a home run every about 10 and a half at bat. 25 bombs, had nine in the month of August. But if you're looking for 
for one advantage that the Pirates are going to have over the Cubs. It is a bullpen. David Bernard has been good for this team. Jason Shreve, I like what you're getting there. Now Kyle Keller, a couple of these other guys have been a little bit less than trustworthy, but for the Cubs during the trade deadline, they wound up giving away Ryan DePere, Andrew Chafin, along with Craig Kimbrell. So now you're looking at Adam Morgan, Manuel Rodriguez. They did wind up getting back Dylan Maples, and he's got right around 2-3-ish ERA, and some of these younger guys have been able to step up like Manuel Rodriguez. He's got a 2.63 ERA, so I do take a look at the spot, and I do think that Mills is going to be able to turn a good start, and even if Brault does wind up giving you a relatively okay start, can't expect him to really go north of five innings, so this is a spot in which I wound up saying the Cubs is more around a minus 150 favor. I also made this all 9.3, so a 9 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over, 9.5 or higher to the under to go along with these Chicago Cubs in some form or fashion, since we just don't have run lines up right now, since we don't have totals. 9.53, 9.54 on the banking board. The Washington Nationals are going to be playing us in New York Metropolitans. Rich Hill is going to be on the bump for the Mets. Sean Nolan is going for the Nets. The Nationals are finding themselves naturally as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Metropolitans, anywhere between minus 145 and minus 159 is your total. Over is minus 120 and the under is even. For Rich Hill, it has not necessarily went well for him ever since getting traded away from Tampa Bay because... With the Rays, they just know how to maneuver pitchers, but the good news is he's not Sean Nolan, who's got a 6.57 ERA. He has made three starts. He has given up at least two runs in every one of them, and three-plus runs in two out of the three. He has given up four home runs across 12 and a third innings. Only three walks, so that's been relatively solid, but this is a 31-year-old that is just going nowhere fast, and he's backed up by a bullpen of the Washington Nationals that they got used pretty heavily yesterday. One of the few guys that was not used is Wander. I swear oh, this guy sucks, and he's got north of a 6 ERA. Mason Thompson wound up getting used up yesterday. Andres Machado's actually been able to give you a tad bit of something. I do like Kyle Finnegan. He should be able to go for the Nationals in this one. And you do have a couple guys that have been able to emerge with the bat for this Washington Nationals team. As you've got a pair of guys in Josh Bell and Juan Soto, both with north of 22 home runs. Soto is a 446 on base. Bell's hitting more around at 250. Now you do need a couple guys to be able to pick it up. Luis Garcia, you're able to throw in there. Kibar Ruiz along with Lane Thomas. And whenever he's been out there, Victor Robles and Andrew Stevens and both of those guys have been banged up, but they're all hitting a 220 or lower. But you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Yadier Hernandez. He is hitting about a 280. Then you take a look at the Mets, and it certainly has been trials and tribulations with this lineup, but you do have a pair of guys that have north of 24 home runs this year in Javi Baez along with Pete Alonso. Now you need a little bit more out of Michael Conforto along with Francisco Lindor. Two guys are highly touted. They're hitting below 225 so far this year. Still have not necessarily struggled when it comes to on base, and got a lot of guys hitting between about a 240. To, I would say about a 260. Pete Alonso, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Jonathan VR, you're able to throw in there. Mr. Baez, Jeff McNeil. So, got a lot of guys in that cluster. And for the Mets, this bullpen has been very solid all year long. You've been able to get some very good innings out of someone like a Miguel Castro. You got Aaron Loop with a sub 1.5 ERA. Trevor May has been able to do a good job. Seth Lugo had a sub 2 ERA last month as well. But the big thing is just being able to get Rich Hill to be able to rate it in. 4.83 ERA across 31 and two thirds innings with the Mets has given up five home runs. I think that going up against Washington Nationals is going to be a welcome sight from. And when you take a look at this Nationals team, they certainly have been up and down to say the least. I think that they're going to have a tough time getting to this Mets bullpen as well. I think that Rich Hill is going to be able to deliver five strong. So set the Mets on the money line more round about a minus 165-ish. If you're looking at the run line of the Mets in this spot, 
you're going to be finding them at a very small plus price. Mostly plus 105. I'm seeing a straight plus 110 out there. I was willing to take this at pretty much any plus price. So I'm going to be taking the Mets on the run line. I wound up saying this all 8.6 as well. So going to be taking the 9 under to go along with the Mets on the run line. 955, 956 on the bang board. The Philadelphia Phillies going to be in the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Asus Lazardo is going to be going for the Fishies. Meanwhile, Kyle Gibson is on the bump for the Phils. Phillies are finding themselves between minus 139 and minus 145 plus price here with the Fish. Anywhere between plus 125 and plus 133, 7.5 is your total over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And for Lazardo, ever since coming over to Miami, it has not been going well for him. I will say this, he is coming off of what was by far his best start as a member of this bunch as he winds up being able to light it up a few days ago, so that is very good to see. But with that said, for Lozardo, a 7.62 ERA ever since he's come over to Miami, giving up five home runs and 18 walks in 28 and a third innings. His last start against the Reds, he winds up giving up one hit, no runs in six innings. Prior to that, he had given up at least three runs in each out of his last five starts and at least four runs in each out of his last four. And he plays in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark as well. This is a lot due to the fact that he had no command. Meanwhile, you take a look at Kyle Gibson and Overall, away from Arlington, he's got about a 3-5-ish ERA so far this year, but he has been really able to rein it in lately. Ever since coming over to the Phillies, he's got a 4-2 record with a 3-1-6 ERA. Done a great job all year long of keeping the deep ball down, and has certainly done that ever since the trade deadline. Giving up two home runs over the course of 37 innings, his walks per nine is sub-3, so that is something that you do like to see him for the Philadelphia Phillies. It has been rough sledding for them on the road, but perhaps yesterday's comeback is going to be able to spark a little bit of something with this team. You've got Bryce Harper who's been able to do a good job will be able to go yard for the team. 26 home runs, a 420 on base. JT Riamuto is back to the fold. He, Ronald Torres, both in between a 254 to a 264. Freddie Galvis is giving you a little bit of something at the shortstop spot. And Odubo Rare out there in the outfield, saying a 265. Andrew McCutcheon doesn't do a great job with batting average, but 22 home runs, 68 RBI to go along with his 225 batting average and a 340 on base. Now with the Phillies, bullpen has always been an issue for the team, but J.D. Hammer has been able to do a very good job for the team. Was used up yesterday, but only for 11 pitches, so you got to figure that he might be able to come back. They used up Angel De Los Santos yesterday, which is actually a good thing for the team. Hector Neris has certainly has had his ups and his downs, but then take a look at the Miami Marlins. And this is a bullpen that, by and large, has been able to get the job done all season long. You've got Anthony Bender has been able to give you a bunch of good innings after giving up a little bit of hard contact earlier in the year. Richard Blyer has been able to rein it in right around a 3-6-ish ERA and is now only giving up four home runs over the course of about 48 innings. Paul Campbell is someone that has been very shaky for this bunch, but he is able to lend length when absolutely necessary and been able to get a little bit of something out of Stephen O'Kurt as well, right around a 2-ish ERA. Now, the big thing for the Miami Marlins is that you've really only got one guy that's going deep for you right now. That would be Asus Aguiar. He has been absolutely tremendous for the team. Entered into yesterday hitting a 265, 22 home runs, 92 RBI. Pass that Jess Chislam is the only other guy on the team that has a double-digit amount of homers and for that matter, the only other guy in the active roster with more than seven home runs, he's hitting about a 260. You've got Miguel Ross hitting in the pocket about a 270. And a lot of guys hitting between about a 235 to a 245. Asu Sanchez, Luis Princeton, Oreo Faro, but then you've got Brian De La Cruz who's hitting about a 350. So a little bit of an interesting spot here. I wound up saying the Phillies as a minus 142 favorite. So this is barely a take on Philadelphia with seeing that minus 139 out there. And then I did wind up saying this all at 7.9 because with Mr. Lizardo, I think that he's going to give up a couple walks. If he winds up giving up a deep ball, there's your over. So, going to be going over along with the Phillies. 957, 958 on the bang board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing against the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Wayno, Adam Wainwright is going to be going for the cards. Freddie Peralta is going to be on the bump for the Brewer crew. Brewers are finding themselves between minus 161 and minus 165. Meanwhile, on the Cardinals, it's anywhere between plus 145 and plus 153. 7.5 is your total. Unders between minus 105 and minus 110. Overs between minus 110 and minus 115. For Peralta, he is going to be coming off of the injured list, but his injured list concerns were, as we were talking about a little bit more with Matt Pauly, just a little bit more out of an abundance of caution rather than anything else. It's not like he was badly hurt or anything thing like that, so I think that that's very important to note. And what else is important to note is that Adam Wainwright has been a little bit different home to road. He has a 365 road ERA, a 258 home ERA, though I will say he has been able to really rein it in lately with regards to his performance on the road. Opponents are getting a 218 off of him when he's away from St. Louis. Eight home runs given up in 61 and two-thirds innings, so he has been able to do a much better job And then Take a look at what he did in the month of August. Across six starts, went 5-1, buck 43 ERA. Gave up one home run in 44 innings, so he is in good recent form. Freddie Peralta has just been in good form all year long. You take a look at what he's doing at Miller Park so far this year. It's now apparently not Miller Park, but I'm still going to refer to it as Miller Park. Two ERA, 4-1 record across 12 total appearances, 11 starts. Give it up five home runs across 67 and a third innings, and opponents are in a buck 23 off of them. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals with regards to the lineup, and you've got a lot of like minded bats for this team. As you've got Jose Rondon, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, Lars Nutbar. All these guys in between about a 250 to a 273. You have been able to get Nolan Arenado to go deep for this team 27 times, and Paul Goldschmidt is on fire overall for the year. 287 batting average with 24 home runs but you take a look at what this gentleman has done ever since the beginning of the month of July and he's hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 340 and he wound up having a combined I would say 13 home runs in this time span as well so he has really gotten hot ever since the all-star break then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals you know it's not hot Genesis Cabrera he's got a north of 60 RA that has not been good so Brandon Dickinson is someone that they're calling upon I think that he wanted pitching in the Nippon Baseball League in Japan a few years ago so that's not necessarily where you want to be being, but with TJ McFarlane, sub-2 ERA, Alex Reyes has been shaky to say the least out of the bullpen, but Giovanni Gaius is giving you a little bit of something, and for the Milwaukee Bears, we were mentioning it with Matt Pauley. This is a bullpen that has been very good for the team all year long. Now, Devin Williams wound up giving it up yesterday, but Josh Hader is going to be available for this team. You've been getting some good innings out of Jake Cousins, Hunter Strickland, Brad Boxberger. These guys have been able to come through, and then you take a look at this Milwaukee Brewers lineup, and you've got Avisail Garcia, who's been able to go deep 24 times. He's hitting about a 265. Colton Wong at the top is hitting a 280. This team is just so vastly different when William Thomas is out there. He wound up sitting out yesterday, so you got to figure that he might be back in the starting fold in this one, and that's going to be big because for Adamas, he has been able to hit right around a 290 with a 375 on base with 17 home runs in about 80 or so games with the Milwaukee Brewers, so he's certainly been able to do his part. Daniel Vogelback is back for the team as well. Christian Yelich seems to be finding a little bit of something, hitting a 300 since the beginning of the month of August, so I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the Brewers should be a sizable favorite. I wound up saying them on the money line, more on minus 175. If you're taking a good look at the run line with the Brewers, you're getting that at a plus 130. I was willing to take this above a plus 115, so certainly going to be looking there. And when it comes to this total, because you do have a guy in Preferalta that is going off the injured list, I think that he might wind up only going about five or so innings. Wound up saying this all at 7.8. So going over along with the Brewer on the run line, 959-960 on the banking board. The Atlanta Braves hit the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Antonio Sensatella is going to be going for the Rockies. 
Buscari Yanoa is going to be going for the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves are finding themselves between minus 130 and minus 135 favorites. Plus price on the Colorado Rockies between plus 115 and plus 121 with your total between 12 and 12 and a half. On the 12, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 110 on the 12 and a half. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even money. With Sensatella, he has been very dominant at home. On the road, not necessarily so much, but he is coming off of throwing seven scoreless settings in Dodger Stadium. It looks like he is certainly coming into his own. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy. This is someone that is only going to give you right around five and a half to six strikeouts per nine innings. But you take a look at what he's done at Coors so far this year. Deserves better than a two and three record. A 389 ERA with four home runs given up in 71 and two thirds innings. Opponents are in at 271 off of him, but does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Then you take a look at Mr. Yanoa and you know what? He's making his third start coming off the injured list, and he's looked pretty solid. Across 17 and a third innings, he has given up five runs, two home runs, and five walks in that time span. So he has certainly been able to do a good job coming off of his stint on the injured list, but got to figure that a young guy going into course might struggle a little bit, and then you take a look at this Colorado Rockies lineup, and they just do such a better job when they're in Colorado rather than on the road. They've got the best home batting average in the league at north of a 280. You take a look at someone like a Connor Joe, and he over Overall for the year is hitting a 285, but at home, he's hitting a 343. Trevor Story, overall for the year, sitting about a 250. At home, that expands to a 295. You've noticed it with CJ Crone. He's got 25 home runs so far this year. 17 have come at home. So that is something that you want to be taking a look at and something that you've got to take a look at with the Atlanta Braves. You've got five guys with north of 20 home runs for this team. Ode Solaire has got 14 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of July. Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall, all between 28 and 29 home runs. Ainsby Swanson, he's got 26. And then getting back to Freeman and Riley, both of these guys hang north of a 290. So that is big. Now, Stephen Vogt is having to play a little bit of catcher for this team. That's not necessarily too terrific, but they did pick up I hear Adrianza, and for the Atlanta Braves, Tyler Mazik, sub-2 ERA over the last two months for this team has been pretty solid. They get A.J. Minter off the injured list. Richard Rodriguez has been able to do a good job before the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that they do have guys that pitch much better at home rather than on the road, which is very strange. You've got a guy in Daniel Bard that whenever he's at home, he pitches just so vastly different to the north of 10 ERA that he has been posting on the road. I have no idea how or why, but he has been able to lock in with that regard, you take a look at someone like Robert Stevenson. He's got right around a 3-8-ish ERA whenever he's been at home. You've been able to get some good innings out of Ulysses Chassin as well. So I'm very fascinated by all of this. And I do think that the Colorado Rockies are going to be able to get a relatively solid start here out of Antonio Sensatella. I just needed anything north of a plus 120 to be able to take a shot. We're right now getting a plus 121 with the Rockies. So I'm going to be looking there. Also wound up saying the sold at 11.6. I think we're going to get some runs. But I do think that both of these starting pitchers are going to do a solid job. So, taking the under along with the Rockies. 961-962 on the main board. The LA Dodgers hit the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Yantes. David Price is going to be on the bump for the Dodgers. Currently, DraftKings is the only place with a lineup on this game. Total is 9. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. With the Dodgers, it is minus 115. And for the Giants, minus 105. At this minus 115 number and nothing more, I'd be willing to take a look at the LA Dodgers. The big thing with the San Francisco Giants that makes this particular matchup a bad one Anthony DiScalfani has been just tattooed by the LA Dodgers. He has made five starts against the Dodgers, 0-3 record, 9.43 ERA, giving up six home runs over the course of 21 innings, and the Dodgers are hitting a 3.41 off of him. There's only one other team that he's faced off against multiple times that's hitting above a 3 iron. That would be the Atlanta Braves, so that has certainly been a little bit of a difficult spot there. Now, I will say, for the LA Dodgers, 
They have not necessarily done well in David Price's starts. I believe that they are 4-7 and seven in those, so that has not necessarily been too great. He has given up either 2 or 3 runs in each out of his last 5 starts, has won 4 and 2 thirds innings or fewer in each out of his last 4, so he hasn't necessarily been highly effective. He's not necessarily giving up a lot of deep balls. 7 home runs and 20 walks given up in 67 and a third innings. You're able to live with that, but opponents have been able to do a good job of putting back to ball against them. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants lineup, and you're just loaded with a bunch of guys who are able to take you deep as right now you've got Chris Bryant doing an amazing job for this team. He's got right around 24-25 home runs overall for the year between his time with the Giants and the Cubs, but all these guys have between 13 and 21 home runs. Austin Dickerson, Buster Posey, Darren Ruff, Lamonte Wade, Wilmer Flores, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Mike Ustremski. So you've been able to get a lot of production all across this team. You've got Belt along with Wilmer Flores and Lamonte Wade. Only between the 245 to 255 and most of these guys have really good on bases like Brandon Belt for instance. He's got an on base of a 355 to go with his 245 batting average. We've seen Buster Posey have a 395 on base. Darren Ruff is in that same fold as well. So these guys are doing a solid job there. And with the Giants, they got another great start out of Logan Webb yesterday. So the bullpen that includes a guy with a 0.50 ERA and Caleb Barger, Dominique Leon with his sub-2 ERA. These guys are all going to be locked and loaded, good to go. You wind up using up Tyler Rogers yesterday, but really didn't have to dive too much into the bullpen. And for the Dodgers, their bullpen actually ranks number one with regards to ERA over the last three days, but I don't know if I necessarily have a ton of faith in a lot of these guys. Joe Kelly has certainly had his ups and his downs this year, to say the least. Phil Bickford has actually been very good as he has been used a ton by the LA Dodgers so far this year. Bursuto Gradrall certainly has had his trials and tribulations. Andrew Vasquez is someone that they're going to be looking to for a couple innings. Alex Vasilla has been a nice surprise for the team. And when it comes to the spot, with it being priced against Z Scalfani, I'm willing to lay up to that minus 115 with the LA Dodgers. I did wind up saying this all at 8.7. So the 9 that we're seeing right now at DraftKings, I'd be taking under. If we would get an 8.5, then I'd be taking a look at the over, but certainly going to be interesting to see what winds up happening once more books wind up releasing lines. 963, 964 on the betting board. The New York Yankees are going to be playing us the Baltimore Orioles. John Means, hopefully he means business for the Baltimore Orioles as he's going to be going up against one Nestor Cortez for the New York Yankees. The Yankees are anywhere between minus 213 and minus 225 favors. With the O's, it's anywhere between plus 185 and plus 196. With your total of 9, with the over, it is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. I needed at least a plus 225 to take a shot here on the Orioles because John Means was very good to begin the year. Ever since he has come off the injured list, the very good John Means has turned into not so good John Means, which is very unfortunate. You take a look at what he wound up doing between the months of July and August, right around a 5-3-ish ERA, so that has been a little bit rough, giving up a combined 10 home runs over the course of his north of 48 innings, so he's given up nearly 2 home runs per 9 innings. Opponents are about a 270 off of him in that time span as well, so that has been very rough. And then you've got a guy, Mr. Nestor Cortez, who has been able to do a very good job ever since becoming a starter. He's given up more than 3 runs just once now. He is giving up the deep ball. He's given up at least 1 home run in each out of his last 5 starts, but he's been able to do a good job of being able to keep the walks down right around 2.6-ish walks per 9 innings. He's done his best work at Yankee Stadium. Buck 75 ERA. He's given up 2 home runs across 25 and 2 thirds innings and opponents are running a buck 72 off of him. And you take a look at this Yankees team as well. And you've got a lot of guys that are starting to come into your their own as you've got Aaron Judge. You're able to throw in there John Carlos Stanton and Joey Gallo as guys 
all giving you at least 25 home runs, and all guys have at least a 350 on base. Luke Voigt is now hitting about a 265. It's been a little bit more efficient. Now, you do have a couple guys, Brett Gardner, Rude Enderdor, Kyle Gashioka, Gary Sanchez. These guys need to pick it up because they're all hitting at 220 or lower, but Anthony Rizzo, very good professional hitter. He's hitting about a 250. Has changed around that clubhouse. DJ LeMayu, Gio Urshela, both of these guys in between about a 265 to 270. And then for the Yankees bullpen, Aroldis Chapman seems to be blocking in a little bit more what you'd like to see. Chad Green has been able to give you some very good innings whenever they're not the ninth inning. Lucas Lukey has been solid along with Juani Peralta. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Baltimore Orioles and this bullpen is not good. Cole Solzer is right around a 3-ish ERA. He's been able to give you a couple good innings. And Dustin Knight is a guy that they're looking to kick the tires on. He's got a career 736 ERA. Marco Stiplin has been able to give you a little bit of something ever since he wound up getting called up. I actually like what I'm seeing there. Tyler Wells has some decent stuff. But Tanner Scott has seen things go very sour on him. I think that Paul Fry is someone that we're not going to be seeing the rest of the year after. He wound up giving up something like 11 runs in an inning. It was absolutely insane. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you actually do have a lineup that's able to give you a little bit of something as Trey Boomo Mancini, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, all with at least 20 home runs for this team. With Mullins, he's hitting above a 300. Mountcastle, 25 bombs. He's hitting a 270. And then you've got Mancini along with Austin the Sayers kid, Anthony Santander, Ore Mateo, you're able to throw in there Ramon Urias, who has got a 272, but the other guys only between about a 245 to a 262, so add a little bit of something there, but then you've got Austin Wins, DJ Stewart, Kelvin Gutierrez, Domingo Leyba, Jemai Jones. List goes on and on of guys hitting a 215 or lower. So I take a look at this spot with the Yankees. I wound up saying them minus 227 on the money line. I am making this total 9.2 because the Orioles do have a little bit of offense, but at the same time, they've got no pitching whatsoever. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And with the run line, I am finding this right around a minus 115 to a minus 120. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 135. So taking the Yankees on the run line to go along with that over. 965, 966 on the banging board. The Oakland A's hit the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Alec Manoa is going to be going for the Jays. Chaminade is on the bump for the A's. With the A's of Oakland, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 120 and plus 122. Meanwhile, with the Jays of Toronto, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140. Nine is your total. Under is minus 120, and the over is even. For Manoa, he has been able to do his best work whenever he has been not on the road because, well, the Blue Jays have had a bunch of home environments to say the least so far this year, but you take a look at what Manoa has been able to do, and he has been pretty darn solid. Buck 83, whenever he's officially listed as a home pitcher across six starts, has given up three home runs in 34 and a third innings, and in general, the Tribal Blue Jays have done their best work at the Rogers Center. A sub-3 ERA as a team whenever they have pitched at the Rogers Center, and then you take a look at Shaman Things are starting to go a little bit sour on him. You take a look at what's happened recently, and this is a man that has given up at least three runs in four out of his last five starts. In his five starts in the month of August, posted up a 9.90 ERA, giving up eight home runs in 20 innings. That is not necessarily what you want. Prior to that, he was posting up an ERA for the year right around a 3.01, so he certainly hit a little bit of a rut there. Now, he's actually been able to do a little bit better on the road than he has at home. 4.15 home ERA, 3.76 road ERA, and 12 road starts. Giving up eight home runs and 21 walks and 64 and two-thirds innings. An opponent staring at 222 off of him. He's backed up by a bullpen that's been in the top five in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of July. As you've had Sergio Romo with a sub-two ERA ever since the beginning of the month of June. AJ Puck, he's been a little bit up and down. But Teo Liz Carrera has actually been able to give you some good innings right around 375 ERA. Andrew Chafin has a sub-two ERA. Jake Diekman a sub-three ERA. So got a couple guys who are able to come out of the bullpen. And for the Blue Jays, it has been a very trying time for this bullpen to say the least. Adam Simber wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it in the month of August, but 
You have been able to get some good innings recently out of Tim Mazza, who's been a nice surprise for them. Jordan Romano has been relatively consistent. He's got right around two-ish ERA. They wanted to be calling Nate Pearson. Looks like he's going to be coming out of the bullpen. He should be able to give the team a little bit of something. He throws 100 miles an hour. And you've got a Blue Jays team that they're able to light it up when it comes to an offensive standpoint, as you've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's been able to go deep over 35 times so far this year, a 405 on base. Marcus Simeon, he's loaded up with 33 home runs. He's hitting about a 265 for this bunch. Boba shit, along with Teoscar Hernandez, both being between about a 285 to a 295. Both of these guys, 21 to 23 home runs apiece. Corey Dickerson sitting at 270. You've got George Springer back in the fold. That is massive ever since the All-Star break when he's not been hurt. He's been one of the best hitters in baseball. And then you've got an Oakland A's team in which you've got Matt Olson doing a terrific job of going deep. 275 batting average. He's been able to give you 32 home runs. And you've got quite a few guys with very good on bases as you've got Mr. Olson. You're able to throw in there Starling Marte of the Marte Parte, Tony Kemp, Mark Canna. All these guys at least a 360 on base. And overall for the year, Josh Harrison is a guy that's in that fold as well. And then you've got a lot of guys with balance power after Matt Olson, along with Matt Chapman. Chapman wound up having nine home runs in the month of August, 23 overall for the year, but Seth Brown, Sean Murphy, Jed Lowry, Mark Hanna, all between 14 and 16 home runs so far this year, so you've got a little bit of that going on, and for the Marte Parte of Starling Marte, leads the league in stolen bases as well, but I do take a look at it, I do think that the Blue Jays do have enough firepower to get to Minea, who has certainly been struggling, did wind up setting the solo 8.8 because the Blue Jays have been doing their best pitching at the Rogers Center, so I am going to be taking this total under, but was willing to lay up to about a minus 140 with the Blue Jays, so we're going to be taking them on the money line. 967-968 on the banking board, the Tampa Bay Rays play also the Minnesota Twins. Randy Dobrik is going to be going for the Twins. Meanwhile, Michael Waka, or we get to do our dying Pac-Man voice. Waka, 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 going to be going for the Rays as Tampa Bay finds themselves anywhere between minus 175 and minus 180. Meanwhile, plus price here with Minnesota, anywhere between plus 155 and plus 162. I'm sorry, it's in my contract to do waka 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 ch-ch. Meanwhile, with the total of 9, you're going to be finding the 9 with underjuice anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, and the overs anywhere between even a minus 110 for waka. Are we going to be hearing the dying Pac-Man voice in this one? I think he's going to give up some runs, but at the same time, he's facing off against a guy in Randy Dobnik that he's given up north of two home runs for nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate is suffering right around a 5.5, and he's got a 783 ERA, and this is going to be his first appearance on a big league mound since June 19th. So it's not necessarily going well for our good friend Randy Dobnik, and you take a look at what he's done on the road. It's actually better than what he's done at home. An 1109 home ERA and a 540 road ERA, so... Got a little bit of that going on. Overall, opponents are hitting off of Dobrik a 324 this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at Waka, and things have not necessarily been going great for him. He's given up at least four runs, and now four out of his last five starts. Slice start against Baltimore was relatively solid, but it's also the Baltimore Orioles last time he wanted facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Waka gave up seven runs in five innings. That is not necessarily what you want. And for Waka, he is giving up 1.8 home runs per nine innings. The walks have actually been down from right around 2.5 walks per nine innings. And you've got a Tampa Bay Rays team that you do have quite a bit of firepower in this lineup. A quadrant of guys with at least 22 home runs. You've got Nelson Cruz, Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, along with Austin Meadows. They're all in that fold as well. With Meadows, along with Lau, both of these guys hitting right around about a 230 to a 240, but both of these guys north of a 320 on base. You've got a guy in Yandy Diaz hitting a 255. He's got a 360 on base. Same goes for G-Man Choi. You've got 
a really good on-base streak for Wander Franco that has really been extending. He wound up entering into yesterday, I believe, at 33 games with that on-base streak as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, we all know about this bullpen and how good it is. They now have Pete Fairbanks along J.P. Fireisen off the injured list. You've been able to get some very good innings out of J.T. Churkwell ever since being sent over from the Seattle Mariners, a sub-1 ERA. David Robertson is someone that they're kicking the tires on, but Andrew Kittrich has been good all year long. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Minnesota Twin Seaman. Oriel Kala has right around a 5-inch ERA. It has not been going too well for him. Alex Calme has been a big, giant waste of money for this bunch. I've been able to get a little bit of something out of Ian Gabo and a little bit more of a long relief role. Caleb Theobar has had his ups and his downs. And for the Minnesota Twins, you do have a lineup that is able to provide a little bit of something. It certainly has been trials and tribulations with them, but Ode Palunco is someone that is hitting about a 272. He's been able to give this team 24 home runs so far this year. Josh Donaldson has been able to go deep 21 times, right around a 360 on base. That is the same on base for Byron Buxton, who ever since coming off the injured list has certainly had a little bit of a rough go of it, but he has been able to do a good job whenever he's been out there on the field for the team this year. Luisa Rice is hitting a 300, but then you've got Brent Rooker, Ryan Jeffers, and Trollton Simmons, Miguel Sano, Jake Cave, along with a host of others that are hitting a 220 or lower. But I will say for Miguel Sano, ever since the beginning of the month of July, things have been turning around for him a little bit. Hitting more like a 250, his on base is right around a 340 in that time span. Has had nine home runs overall for the year. He's been able to go deep 23 times, so he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Rob Rebsnyder has been able to get a couple at-bats as well, but I do take a look at the spot, and I think that the race should be a very sizable favorite. If you're looking at the race on the run line, you're currently going to be finding that right around a plus 105. I'm seeing as good as a plus 108. I'm also seeing as bad as even money. With the race, I was willing to lay a little bit of a price, more like a minus 115 on the run line. So, going to be taking a look at that, and I wound up saying so at 10, because I think that Waka gives up runs, and I certainly think Dominic does as well. So, going over, along with the run line of the race, 969-970 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians hit the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Eovaldi is going to be going for the Red Sox. Cal Quantrill is going to be going for the Indians. Right now, I'm seeing the Red Sox at DraftKings at minus 240 and plus 195 on the Cleveland Indians. That is the only place right now that currently has a lineup on this one. Tell you right now, if we're getting that, I'm going to be taking a look at the Indians. 12-9, under minus 115, and the overs minus 105. I certainly think that we're going to see more normalized numbers once this comes out in the AM because I wound up saying the Indians at plus 120, and it made this all 9.2, so I'd be looking at the over of 9, and I'd be taking a look at the Cleveland Indians at a 9.5. I'd be looking at the under, but why are we not giving Cal Quantrill more respect? You take a look at what he's done, and he's given up two runs or fewer in seven out of his last eight starts. He has been absolutely magnificent for the Cleveland Indians recently. You take a look at his last start against the Boston Red Sox. He gives up one earned run over the course of seven innings. He wound up giving up a, I believe it was home run to J.D. Martinez, and that was it. He's been doing a much better job of getting swings and misses, at least five strikeouts in four out of his last five starts. He's given up about .8 home runs per nine innings, has really locked in when it comes to the walks. You just take a look at what this man has done ever since the beginning of the month of July, and he's got a sub-2 ERA. That is much different than in June when he wound up putting up a 720. So he has certainly been able to do his part. Then you take a look at Nathan Eovaldi. And this is a gentleman that has been able to do his best work at Fenway. You take a look at him on the road. 480-70 area. He's given up 9 home runs over the course of 57 and a third innings at home. 3 home runs at 15 walks in 93 innings. Opponents are hitting a 234. He's posted up a 3 ERA. This Boston Red Sox team, they are dealing with some guys out due to COVID-19, especially on the inferior. Xander Bogarts has been out recently. You are dealing with it in the bullpen as well. Here it comes to 
Automata, along with Matt Barnes. They've been out of the fold, but you still have Hunter Renfro out there. He, Kyle Schwarber, you're able to throw in there. Christian Vasquez, only between a 255 to a 270 with Schwarber and Renfro, both 25-plus home runs. You've got J.D. Martinez, along with Rafael Devers, in between a 275 to a 290. Martinez, 24 home runs. Devers entered into yesterday, second in the league in RBI, 32 home runs of his own. Bobby Dahlbeck wound up having a home run in back-to-back games to lead off the week as well. So, got a lot of guys doing some solid work, but you're also looking at Jonathan Arus along Jack Lopez in the infield and for the Indians. They're not dealing with COVID-19 issues, which is very good as you've got a pair of guys that will be able to do a good job hitting 24-plus home runs. Jose Ramirez along with Framio Reyes, Harold Ramirez, Miles Straw. You've also got Ryan LaVarnway, who is fresh off the injured list at the catcher's spot. All these guys are in between, I would say, about a 250 to a 275. Bradley Zimmer has been in that pocket as well. Now, you need a little bit more out of someone like an Owen Miller, a Yu Chang. Austin Edge is really the catcher's spot in general for this team, aside from LaVarnway. They get 220 or lower, but they've been able to come around with that. And you've also got a Cleveland Indians bullpen that has been pretty solid. Emmanuel Classe has been one of the best closers in the big leagues. Blake Parker has a 2-3-ish ERA. Trevor Steven has certainly decided his ups and his downs. And Nick Sandlin being on the injured list hurt this team a little bit. But even someone like a Brian Shaw with his 3-2 ERA has been able to do a relatively solid job. And for the Boston Red Sox, I mentioned the COVID issues. Not having a lot of those trustworthy guys means that you're probably going to be looking to Austin Davis, Adam Adovino, Stephen Gonsalves and company. So that's not great. And and so Robles. Ever since he wound up getting traded over to the Boston Red Sox going into yesterday, he had an ERA that was touching right around a 7-3. So that's not necessarily too terrific. So if we wind up getting these DraftKings numbers, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the Indians and the over as I'm going to be taking a look at anything of a 9 or lower to the over and I'm going to be taking a look at the Indians as long as I'm getting north of a plus 120. 971-972 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago White Sox hitting the road to face off against Kansas City Royals. Carlos Hernandez is going to be going for the Royals. Dallas Keuchel is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. Right now, Circa is showing a number of the Royals at minus 115 and a plus 105 on the White Sox with the over and under of this game at minus 110 both ways and a total of 9. Meanwhile, at DraftKings, the White Sox are minus 220 with the Royals at plus 180 and a total there at 9.5 with the under at minus 115 and the over at minus 105. Got to think we're probably going to be getting a little bit of something in the middle. I personally want to making the Chicago White Sox more around about a minus 145 favorite. Now, you do take a look at Dallas Keuchel, and he has been giving up the deep ball right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings, and he is going up against the Kansas City Royals team that they have been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to put bat to ball, but really outside of Salvador Perez, he haven't had a lot of power with this team. Now, with Perez, he has been amazing. He's given this team 38 home runs, north of 90 RBI, and you do have quite a few guys they're getting on base for the team. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 290 with Merrifield. You're able to throw in there Salvador Perez, both in between a 270 and 275. And then you've got Michael A. Taylor, Andrew Benatendi, Ansar Alberto, and Emmanuel Rivera in between about a 240 to a 256. But you certainly have those guys like Ed Olivares, Carlos Santana, Ryan O'Hearn, in between about a 222-230. And this is a Kansas City Royals bullpen that they did use up to Opayampas yesterday. They've been using some very interesting long relievers. We thought we were going to be getting Chris with the K. Bubich as a star. He came out of the bullpen. Scott Parlow, Jake Brents, they're able to do a relatively solid job out of the pen, but they don't compare to the Chicago White Sox. As you do have Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell. Both of these guys have had their struggles, but certainly are very capable guys. And with Dallas Keuchel, you do have to be mindful of the fact that this guy on the road so far this year has an ERA that hovers right around a 5-5. He has made 12 road starts. 
Giving up nine home runs in 62 two thirds innings, but the big thing is opponents are at 283 off of them. But with the White Sox, even though Tim Anderson is on the injured list, this is still a team that is locked and loaded. Jose Abreu currently has 28 home runs, leads the league with over 100 RBI. He, Yoel Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, lying between a 263 and a 270. In the case of Moncada, he's got a 375 on base. Luis Robert is out at the leadoff spot. He's hitting a 335. You've got Lurie Garcia hitting about a 250. Brian Goodwin has seen a little bit of a dip in his batting average, and you have Monty Grandal only hitting a 217, but he's got a 408 on base, which that's one of the more insane splits that you're going to see. And ever since coming back, four home runs in five games. So I do think that the White Sox are going to be able to get quite a bit out of these guys. And heck, even Gavin Sheets is a guy that was able to give you a multi-home run game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You've also got a couple ancillary pieces like Jose Ruiz, Ryan Tepera and company coming out of the bullpen. So this is a spot in which I wound up saying the White Sox as a minus 146 favorite. On the run line, I would need more like a plus 120. Lane run and I have to be able to take them. And I set this all at 8.9. So I'd be looking at a total under on either the 9 or the 9.5. So a 9 or higher looking at the under. 973-974 on the main board. The LA Angels are going to be playing us to the Texas Rangers. Shohei Otani is going to be going for the Angels. Glenn Otto is going to be on the bump for the Rangers. The Rangers are between plus 185 and plus 192 underdogs. If you're looking at the Halos, anywhere between minus 209 and minus 225, 8.5 is your total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 for Otani. He has been absolutely amazing. Two runs of fear were given up in nine out of his last 11 starts, and he wound up going very deep in one of his most recent starts against the Detroit Tigers, going eight strong. So he is proving that he is able to lend that stamina. What I think is very good for Joy Otani is that over the course of, I would say, the first seven or eight starts of the year, he was giving up nearly seven walks per nine innings. He has really been able to rein it in ever since the beginning of the month of July. His ERA hovers right around about a 2-2, but he has given up a grand total of four walks over the course of his last seven starts. That has crossed 45 innings. In that time span, he's given up right around a home run per nine innings, and opponents are at about a buck 90. So he has been able to do an absolutely terrific job, and you just take a look at what he's been able to do at home as well. It has been very good from a pitching standpoint. This is a man that whenever he's been at home, he has been at his best, says he's got a home ERA of a buck 92, 5-0 record across his 10 starts, five home runs given up in 56 and a third innings, and opponents are a buck 88 off of him. Then you got a guy, Mr. Otto, wound up having a very good MLB debut. Wound up going up against the Houston Astros. Gave up no runs, two hits, and had seven punch outs of five innings against the Houston Astros. And he was relatively solid out there in the minors. But now that I think that there's a little bit more tape out on him, I do think that the Angels are going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this spot. Because keep in mind, while Shea Otani has been great on the mound, he also leads the league with 42 home runs. So you've got that nice kicker. Now David Fletcher has seen his batting average dip a little bit. Still hitting a 291, which is relatively solid. But in the month of August, he only wound up hitting about a 230. Jose Iglesias has been very good for this Angels team all year long. Jared Walsh has just three home runs ever since the All-Star break. But he is still hitting right around 265 for this bunch. You've got Phil Gosselin hitting a 275. You've been able to have Brandon Marsh along with Max Sassy in between about a 265 to 275. But Joe Adele, Jack Mayfield, Justin Upton, these guys are all in below a220. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Texas Rangers and Adolis Garcia is starting to find it once again. 29 home runs so far this year. Had a big giant rut in June and July. In August he was able to bust out with six home runs. Only at a 227 though, so a little bit of caution there. Isaiah Caner Falefa is hitting in the neighborhood of about a 260-ish for this team. Nate Lowe has been able to give you a tad bit of something as he's been able to bat for right around about a 250-ish himself. Charlie Culverson is hitting in that neighborhood as well. But then you've got DJ Turnitup Peters, who's hitting below the Mendoza line of a 200. Leo D. Tavares is hitting just a buck 18, but 
That's actually after he wound up having a nice outburst against the Colorado Rockies, so hard to have a lot of faith there. I'm with the Texas Rangers. This is a bullpen that has been all over the map. You've had guys like Jarrell Cotton, Demarcus Evans, both up north of five ERAs, but you've had some solid innings out of Spencer Penn recently. Brett Martin is someone that is posting up about a 3-5 ERA for the season. Nick Snyder is someone that they're going to be looking to for innings as well. And then with the LA Angels, Rossiel Iglesias has been one of the best closers out there in the big leagues, but really, other than Steve Ciszek, you've not had much come out of the bullpen. Mike Myers is someone that is an ERA that is north of a 4-2. Elvis Peguero is someone that they're going to be looking to for innings. Jake Patrika has a north of 12 ERA, so got a lot of guys that they are giving up runs. So, an interesting spot here. If you're taking a look at the run line of the LA Angels, because I'm sure that many of you guys are going to be looking to reduce the juice on this game, find that anywhere between a minus 104 to a minus 110, I was willing to lay up to about a minus 120 on the Angels run line. I wanted to say the money line more like a minus 200, so I'm going to be taking a look at that run line with the Rangers. They're still averaging right around three runs per game ever since the All-Star break. That is by far dead last in the big leagues and with the LA Angels, they're in the bottom three with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break in the American League as well. So set this all at 7.8. So diving under along with the Angels on the run line. 975-976 on the bagging board. The Detroit Tigers set the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati and they're on to Vladimir Gutierrez getting the start. Meanwhile, Tyler Alexander is going to be on the bump for the Tigers. Your total on this game is 9.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 on the Reds. You're going to be getting them between between minus 170 and minus 180 plus price with the Detroit Tigers. Anywhere between plus 155 and seeing as good as a plus 161. I need more like plus 185 to be able to take a shot here on Alexander. As Vladimir Gutierrez has actually been very good for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, the Reds certainly had a little bit of a bumpy series against the St. Louis Cardinals, but you take a look at Gutierrez for the year. He has given up right around 1.4 home runs and about 3.3 walks per nine innings, but he has been able to do a superb job with a 9-5 record, 4-3 ERA. Has a 4.65 ERA at home, giving up nine home runs and 40 and two-thirds innings, but fortunately, he's facing off against a Detroit lineup that they have not been able to find a lot of power recently. You've got a guy in Jonathan Scope that has, I believe now, two home runs over the last... 55 days for this team, so that has been a little bit tough. He, Eric Costi, are able to throw in there. Robbie Grossman, all been able to provide for you between 18 and 21 home runs so far this year. Jamie Acredo-Delario, along with Robbie Grossman, both have between a 350 and a 360 on base, but Nico Goodrum, Willie Castro, Zach Short, a lot of guys on the seam are hitting below a 225. Akil Badu is back. He's been hitting more like a 260. And you've got Miguel Cabrera is now Mr. 502 as he's been able to do a relatively solid job. you got a Tigers team that had their bullpen firing all cylinders coming out of the All-Star break. But now Ian Kroll is on the injured list. Kyle Funkovs or Gregory Soto. These guys have been able to give you a little bit of something. And OCC Cerno, right around 260 ERA. He has been very good for the team. But you take a look at Alexander. He hasn't necessarily been able to lend a ton of length for this team. More than five and a third innings in just one of his starts so far this year. Has been relatively solid, but the home run ball is the big issue for him. Giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Now his walks per nine, that over is right around two, but this is a man that has actually done a little bit worse at home rather than on the road. 4.15 road ERA. 4.54 home ERA, giving up five home runs in 35 and two-thirds innings at home, and opponents are hanging 264 off of him. Very much a pitch-to-contact guy. And then when you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds team, well, you've been dealing with an injury to Jesse Winker, but you wound up having a lot of unexpected production out of Taylor Naquin, who wound up hitting above a 335 
in the month of August for this bunch. You've got Eugenio Suarez, who is back at the fold. He has been able to supply 24 home runs for this team. Nick Cassianos, always seems to hit a home run during tragic situations. He's hitting a 320. He's been able to supply 26 home runs. Jonathan India, a 380 on base. He's won team 17 times, so you've got a lot of firepower with this team, including a man in Jordi Vato, who has 28 home runs, is leading the National League in home runs ever since the All-Star break as well, so I like what I'm seeing there. Now, with the Cincinnati Reds, you do have a bullpen that has been a little bit shaky, but Michael Givens, Luis Sessa have been able to fortify things a little bit. Michael Lorenzen says coming off the injured list. He's got right around 245 ERA. Lucas Sims has been a little bit up and down so far this year, but ever since he wound up going on the injured list, he has been a little bit more solid for the team recently. I think that he's going to be able to line some good innings for the team moving forward as well. So, I do take a look at the spot. I did wind up saying the Reds as about a minus 185 favorite on the money line. If you are taking a look at the run line in this spot, I'm finding the Reds at plus 110 across the board with the Reds run line. I was willing to take this laying a minus 110, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. Also, wind up saying the sold at 9.6, so going to be going over along with that Reds run line. 977, 978 on the bank board. The Seattle Mariners going to be in the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mabo, Madison Bumgarner, going for the D-backs. Tyler Anderson is right now the listed starter on ESPN. As of right now, the betting board says to be determined. We don't have any numbers up on this game, but I do have numbers as if we are going to be getting Mr. Anderson going up against Madison Baumgartner. We'll end up setting the Seattle Mariners as a minus 124 favorite. And when it comes to the total, going to be making it an 8.8. So an 8.5 or lower, going to be taking a look at the over, a 9 or higher to the under. Madison Baumgartner came off the injured list looking very sharp for the team to begin with, but ever since the last, I would say, two or so starts, things have been a little bit more sour from giving up a combined nine runs over the course of 11 innings against the Phillies and the Pirates on the road. Now, prior to that, he was looking very, very solid, having given up two earned runs or fewer in each out of his previous seven starts, and by and large, ever since the beginning of the month of July, he has been able to do a good job. He's got a south of three ERA. He's given up six home runs over the course of 57 and two-thirds innings, so certainly he's been able to hold it down there and right around two walks per nine innings as well. Then you take a look at Anderson, ever since being acquired by the Seattle Mariners, he's been able to do a good job himself. He has given up three walks in 34 innings with a 3-180 ERA. Now, I will say, ever since being acquired by the Seattle Mariners, most of his starts have wound up coming against the Texas Rangers. As a matter of fact, three out of his six, but also went on the road against the Houston Astros, gave up two runs in five and a third innings, was able to hold it down there, so given up three runs or fewer in every one of his starts with Seattle, so that is something that, that you do like to see. And this is an Arizona Diamondbacks team that you've got nobody on the active roster with more than 11 home runs. That'd be Josh Roas, he, Pavin Smith, are a pair of guys in between about a 272 to 275, and they've both given you between 10 and 11 home runs. Now, you've got Quito Marte of the Marte Parte, 395 on base, 345 batting average, who has been solid, David Peralta's Hitting a 265, but then you've got a bevy of guys hitting at 225 or lower, though I will say for Dalton Varsho, he is hitting for the year right around 225. You take a look at what he did in the month of August. He was able to hit more like a 270 for the team, so he's looking a little bit more solid in the month of July. He also hit right around that pocket as well. But Varsho, Josh Van Meter, Nick Ahmad, Andrew Young, Jake McCarthy, you're able to throw in there a couple other guys, like even a Nick Heath. The list goes on and on of guys. They're in at 225 or lower for this bunch. And with the Arizona and the Diamondbacks, they've got one of the worst bullpens that we've really ever seen in baseball. Tyler Clippard, the ancient one. 
Fame will give you a couple innings, but guys like Jake Feria, Taylor Clark, Matt Peacock, guys that have been starters, they're coming out of the bullpen, throwing their Caleb Smith as well. You can tell that they are fish out of water. J.B. Wendelkin has been picked up by the team, and he's actually been a relatively okay reliever ever since getting picked up by this bunch. He has been able to do his job, but certainly not something that I want to be taking too much of a shot on, especially against a Seattle Mariners team, in which they've been lights out on the bullpen. You've been able to get some very good innings out of Paul Seawald. I do like what I've seen out of Drew's second rider all year long with his sub-2 ERA. Eric Swanson has been able to give you some good innings. Heck, even John Doolittle, ever since he wound up coming over from the Cincinnati Reds, has been able to do a solid job as well. So this is a situation which I'm going to be taking the Seattle Mariners as long as I'm able to get a minus 124 error better. And like I said, half or lower going to be taking a look at the over, 9 or higher to the under. And we wrap things up with my New York Bulls play of the day, 979-980 on the banging board as you've got the Houston Astros in the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Jake Arrieta. Yeah, he's getting a start in a pennant race for the San Diego Padres, and they're going to be going up against Jose Arrequiti of the Houston Astros. Astros, their road team, find themselves anywhere between minus 143 and minus 150. Meanwhile, with the Padres, it's anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135, and your total on this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. The New York Post late days, the Astros on the money line. I set this at minus 175, so... I feel very good about the Houston Astros. I typically like to keep it at the money line in the New York Post. I certainly advocate for a run line play of the Houston Astros as well as you're right now finding that right in the neighborhood of about a plus 105. I'm seeing a couple plus 107s out there as well. Pretty much any sort of plus money that you're able to get to fade Jake Arrieta, I am all on board with. With Jake Arrieta in his side between the Chicago Cubs and the San Diego Padres, he has not been able to do a great job. Over his last nine starts, opponents are hitting a 404 off of him. He's got a north of an 11 ERA, and oh yeah, the team that he started for has lost all nine of his starts. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jose Irakiti, and it certainly has been a while ever since he's been trotted out there, but at the same time, over his last eight starts, whenever he's been out there for the Astros, the team is 8-2 and two them and opponents throwing a buck 88 off of them. He issued just six walks in his last 56 and a third innings. This is going to be the first start for Urikiti ever since the really back half of the month of June. But Jake Arrieta is also coming off the injured list, which that makes things all the worse. And for the Padres, this is a bullpen that all year long has been reliable going into the month of August. Top bullpen ERA in the big leagues. It's been league average really ever since the beginning of the month of August. You can tell that so many of these guys, like in Nabel Krismet, Austin Adams, you're able to throw in there, even Mark Melance, and this goes on and on of guys that they've just been a little bit too used up by this team. Now, you do take a look at the San Diego Padres, and you do have a lot of firepower with the team. Fernando Tatis Jr., north of 35 home runs. He's been able to do a very solid job, and got a lot of guys sitting between, I would say, about a 255 to 275, Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth, Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, Will Myers. So, you've got a lot of guys doing their part there. Adam Frazier, sliding above a 300, though, ever since he wound up getting sent over to the Padres. Not necessarily been as terrific, but still got a lot there. And then with the Houston Astros, this is a team that is just loaded with regards to offensive firepower. you got to figure that they're mad after getting shut out in their last game against the Seattle Mariners, but all these guys have at least 20 home runs for the team. Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve, you're able to throw in there Jordan Alvarez as well. All these guys are in at least at 272. All these guys at least at 335 on base as well with Alvarez 
leading the way with 28 home runs. You've also had Yoli Curiel hitting well above a 300 for the team. Michael Brantley is hitting at 317. Alex Bregman is back in the fold. He's got it at 370 on base. Alamed is hitting at 285. So you've got a lot here. I'm with the Astros. They have been able to fortify that bullpen a little bit as well. Kendall Graveman has a one-ish ERA for the season. They are getting back Josh James as well. Ian Ali Paredes is back up with the team. I like what he's able to do. Ryan Presley all year long has been relatively reliable for this bunch with a buck 83 ERA. So take a look at the spot. Houston Astros are a team that I'm setting as about a minus 175 favorite. So I am all aboard there. This is Operation Fade Jake Arrieta. Set this all at 9.3 so we're going to be going over as well. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Friday. A big thanks to Matt Pauly who does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers and he joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you've heard this podcast, one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at your squirty one. Keep in mind, letters here. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section of that. And I will be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm going to be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you.